if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 1. If you need a Bible, we're going to hand them out um, this morning. And so, on that same line, if this is your first time with us, or one of your first times with us, we're, we're really thankful that you're here this morning. We've been going through a series that has been talking specifically about the messiness of life. We, we've been talking about this idea that Jesus is someone who doesn't shy away from the places of our lives that we would deem most unlovable. And so if you were to sit right here right now and, and maybe to yourself think, you know, if somebody knew this part about my life, if somebody knew this part about my past or what I struggle with right now or that I don't know what I'm doing in this area of my life, they would love me differently than the way that they do now. Oftentimes we think those are the places that God avoids or the places that God is judging us or God hates about us or tolerates about us. But actually what you see in the Bible and what you see of the Lord is that he actually desires and wants to be in those places, not only to bring healing and his love, but to teach us and to grow us in those places. And as the word describes, mature us in our faith as we grow closer to him. And so we've actually been diving into a number of topics over the past few weeks. We looked at sexuality and what does the Bible have to say about that and how God created it. We actually looked at LGBTQ and homosexuality a few weeks ago. This past week, many of you were here when Pastor Randy came and spoke on the topic of gender. And a lot of the things that he talked about was um, this idea that we were made equal as male and female, but unique. In fact, it's interesting because the word for woman, when Adam calls her woman, it actually means in Hebrew, she's like me, but she's also not like me. That she's equal, that she's so similar to me, but at the same time, she's different. She's unique in the way that she's made. Last week, we, we dove into the topic of gender, um, and Randy dove into a lot of the differences. In fact, even mentioning, I thought something interesting that he spoke on was that men and women have different cells because of male and female. And so the very way that you're born biologically is different. That a surgeon would have to know whether you were male or female because it could affect the surgery. It's down in our deep DNA of being a male and a female that God made us. And this morning I want to continue to look at gender. But specifically, I actually want to talk about women this morning. Um, I want to talk about specifically the way that men and women relate to one another in the way that God has intended it. But I actually want to talk more focused on women in the way that we are to treat women as Christians and what does it mean um, to be a woman in the kingdom of God and how it's biblically described and how it's been played out throughout history up to the very day that we find ourselves in and what the church's role is in that. Now, um, if you're already open to Genesis chapter 1, that's where we're going to read out of. And just to clarify, when I'm, I'm speaking about this, there are topics that really humble me as a person, and this is definitely one of them. And I just want you guys to know that I'm not speaking to you as a pastor. I'm speaking to everyone in this room as a brother. And that this is a topic I actually got the opportunity to speak at the girls' retreat a couple weeks ago. Um, but I'm even more excited to share with you guys this morning um, as there are men in the room. And that this is such an important topic for men to talk about. Um, and to understand in their own lives. And so when you look at the Genesis account, um, we actually looked at this account over in midweek. When God is creating the world and he creates man and woman, it reaches this point in verse 26, if you look at me in chapter 1, 
where God makes a declaration over the very creation that he made, that God not only creates something, but he calls it what it is. It's a sense of identity that happens in the midst of creation. And so when you think about words that really matter more than anything, that God's words initially when we're created are the most important words. Amen? And we see that here where God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, referring to the Trinity, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Can you say amen with me? When you look at this passage, you see a couple things jump out to you. You see a picture of what God really intended for the way that men and women were meant to interact with one another. In fact, one of the words that's used to describe women as um, a helper later on in this passage actually means a rescuer and a defender. It's actually the same word that's used to describe God in a couple different passages in the Bible. And so women have this calling to be a rescuer and a defender in the same way that God is called to be one in the way that they were made. But even more, you see that they were created in the image of God, male and female, he created them. See, men, men and women, everybody say and, and women, both of them reflect different attributes of God in a good way and in a healthy way and in a Christ-reflective way. But not only do you see that reflected in the image of God, you also see calling and the way that we were meant to interact reflected here because it doesn't just say that they were made in God's image. You see God calling them to subdue the earth. It says, you're called to rule over the animals and the birds and over this earth together. And so it's not just a matter of this is your identity, that's some stagnant belief or information, but rather it's this proactive thing that together, equally as male and female, that you guys would work together, that you would rule over this earth together as human beings the way that God created it to be. And that's actually something that you see throughout the Bible. That's something you see throughout the church. When Jesus was with his disciples on the Last Supper, he actually said, a new command that I give you to love one another the same way that I love you. And he says, by that, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is pointing to this idea that the way that we love one another, and that includes the way that men and women interact with one another, has a direct reflection on the world of who we really are as Christians. In fact, what the Bible would go as far as to say is that if someone were to walk into the presence of us, they should notice a radical difference in the way that we treat one another that's different from maybe those that don't believe in Jesus. And so from the very beginning, you see this partnership. God would call it unity with one another, and that's what he originally intended. But from there, many of you guys know sin enters the picture. And can I tell you something? Maybe you're in here and you don't know much about sin or the fall. But when sin entered into the world and we were given a sinful nature because of it, it not only affects you personally in the way that maybe you are, where you know that you fall short, but did you know that it also affects the relationships 
that you have with other people. And so, in a sense, you have these broken relationships with the people around you. And maybe some of you could agree with me that if you look at some of the ways that people treat each other in this world, that there is something a little broken about it. Amen? That there is something not unified about the way that we would love one another or respect one another or even work together. Oftentimes, not even trying to do that, but being complete enemies with one another. And so sin doesn't just necessarily break us to the point where we say, oh, I fall short of the grace of God, but it also breaks the relationships that are around us as well. So when you look at this relationship between a man and a woman that was meant to be partners with one another, and to clarify as well, I'm not just talking about husband and wife. That is definitely one aspect of it, but I'm talking about brother and sister, And that's an important thing to understand as well, because if you're sitting here going, well, all right, well, now I know how to treat my husband or I know how to treat my wife. That is true, but it's also true the way that you relate to people of the opposite gender in the room around you. Because as Cody said a couple weeks ago when he spoke, that you will have one wife or husband, but you're going to have many brothers and sisters that you're going to have to learn how to love and relate to with one another. And so when I speak about this idea that male and female were meant to partner with one another, that's talking about us in this room as a family. That's not talking about something in the future with marriage. That's talking very real about the way that we treat one another. Amen? And so what you see happen from then on is that you see a break happen between the way that men and women have treated one another, but mostly what you see happening, and and God would even speak about that of one of the as one of the consequences of sin, he says, he will rule over you, is what it says in Genesis chapter 3. Now, he's not saying that this is what's going to happen and I'm making it happen, but he's saying this is a consequence of sin, that there's going to be a break in the way that men and women treat one another. And from then on, I would just personally say, and what you see throughout the ancient history up until this day, is a gap between the way that men and women are treated and the way that they treat one another. You see how women have been oppressed simply because of their gender and denied their rights simply for being a woman, which isn't okay. You see, even throughout ancient history, women being treated as second-class citizens. You see oppression. You see abuse. You see a gap given basic human rights simply because of them as a woman. In fact, there's one scholar that says every man-made religious movement has one thing in common, and it's this. Women are deemed less valuable as men in them whether that's polygamy or whether that's being denied rights or abuse, whether that's physical or sexual, you see this consistent thing happening. In fact, the way that men and women treat one another and the discrepancy and the statistics today, it's one of the few things that happens on all demographics. So whether you're a blue-collar worker in America or whether you live in a third-world country in Africa or in Asia, A lot of times the statistics are still the same of how men treat women and the abuse and the wage gaps and the discrepancies. In fact, it's heartbreaking to see that even today we see a lot of that played out before us. When you see things like the Me Too movement, amen, when the UN comes out with a study and says that 35% of women in the entire world are either physically or sexually abused in their life, it's heartbreaking to see that. You see wage gaps happening within the workplace. You see leadership discrepancies that are happening around the world. But ultimately, it points to 
something that's happening that's, that's greater than just one season of time. You see a brokenness that happens in sin. And I just want to be clear about that. I'm not saying we hate men. Down with the men, you know, like, or anything like that. But what it is, it's not just a man problem. It's a sin problem that's happening before us. In fact, this is something even throughout the Bible, when you look at the Pharisees, the people who were supposedly, everybody say supposedly, just because they're supposed to doesn't mean they do. The religious leaders of the day who were supposedly meant to reflect God weren't. And a lot of that was reflected in the way that they treated women. In fact, a lot of Pharisees would get up in the morning and they would pray this prayer. God, thank you I'm not a woman. That's a harsh thing to think of a religious ruler of that day. Think about that culture if that was the ruler. In fact, oftentimes women weren't even allowed to own property or women had no value as a person unless they were married to a man. And so you see this being played out in the ancient world. And then something incredible happens. You guys ready for this? Jesus enters into the picture. Jesus comes to the earth. Jesus is God who took on flesh to show us what God was really like. No one can understand the fullness of God because of how great and how mighty he is. So God in his infinite wisdom says, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to become like a human being. You speak English, I'm going to talk English. That's basically what he did when he became a human being. You're human beings, I'm going to become a human being so you can understand what I'm like and what my heart is like. And you want to know what Jesus did? He lifted up women. It was completely countercultural to the day, the way that he treated women, to the way that he talked to women. In fact, you can go story after story throughout the Gospels from the Samaritan woman who says, why are you even talking to me? What are you even doing here? From the woman who would pour out her perfume and Simon, one of the Pharisees, says, man, if you knew who this woman was, she's a sinner. And Jesus would stand in the gap and say, no, I love her and she's forgiven. When you look at the adulterer that was thrown before Jesus, which you don't commit adultery by yourself. There was no man that was thrown before the feet. Amen. Still gets me mad to this day. And Jesus would stand on her behalf and say, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. And he says, go now and leave your life of sin. You have been made clean. Did you know that in Luke chapter 8, it gives a description of Jesus' ministry. And it says, many of the prominent women of that day supported Jesus out of their own means for the ministry. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus was powerful enough to be the son of God, but humble enough to be financially supported by women. That is a powerful thing that Jesus did for today. Think about then how radical that was. God likes to change cultures. And God likes to do the right thing even if no one else does it. Amen? So do we. There's an interesting passage out of a book called Lavology that talks about a lot of the role of women in sexuality. And I just want to read this passage to you. I want you guys to listen to this. This goes without saying in our world today... But in all of history, the idea that men and women were equal was a radical, new, and freeing idea. Adam and Eve were equals before sin, showing that male and female were equal and had an equal calling and purpose in the world. But sin broke that. Women were considered secondary to men in many ways and still are today, and that's a result of sin. Where the gospel has gone, it has done more to elevate the role of women than anything. It is said that Jesus was the first feminist. Amen. 
It is not a bad line. The way that he treated women was thousands of years ahead of its time. Historians think Paul was the first author in human history that stated men and women were created equal. Nobody said that in the ancient world, and nobody says that much now. Wherever you find yourself, the Bible altogether is steadfast in this belief that women are in no way, shape, or form inferior to men. We may be unique and different, but we are created equal in every way. Can we clap to the Lord this morning for that? Now, like we said, that this is a result of sin, and that sin is the real culprit and the real author of this break that has happened, as well as so many other breaks in the world around us. So even more radical, Jesus didn't just treat women well, but he actually set them free as well as all men by going to the cross and dying for our sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves. Jesus gave us the hope and the ability to be equal with one another and to be fully forgiven and to be family with one another because he gave us a new life. You don't have to live second class to who you were actually created to be. This morning, the rest of it, I just want to talk about two specific things. I want to talk to the women in the room specifically about how they may see themselves um, from a brother's perspective. And then I want to talk to the men in the room. So for the women in the room, in light of this, and in light of what Jesus did, a couple of things that I notice about that. Jesus is someone who creates cultures, which means this. You're living in a sinful culture to a degree, wherever you may go. And so what you see in this pattern is that if women are considered inferior to men, that you're living in a culture that maybe values those things. It may not necessarily say it, but you are living in a culture in that. And in that, culture is actually defined as it's all these environments that make up the world around you. In fact, when it says go and rule over the earth, a lot of people interpret that as male and female were meant to create healthy, godly cultures around us where God was lifted up and the values of Jesus were lifted up. And so with the sin and with fall and the fall, that unhealthy cultures were made around us. And that we live in a warped and sinful culture in blatant ways, but even more in the subtle ways that are happening around us. And if you feel like someone where you're like, I don't feel oppressed, you know, like, I don't feel like I am being devalued. That's, a, that's something I would just ask you maybe to consider yourself. Maybe you're someone who's been abused in your life. Maybe you're someone who has been overlooked because of your gender and it's affected you in that way. Maybe you're someone in here that doesn't think you can be something in this world simply because you're a woman. In junior high last year, we had our girls retreat, and it was incredible. And there was this one girl um, that felt a call to be a pastor out of it. And she's just a, she's a fireball. She's going to be a stud when she grows up. But I remember what happened. She came up to me the next week, and she said, Pastor Jeff, she's like, you told me I could be a pastor. And she goes, but my neighbor told me I can't because I'm a girl and that it says so in the Bible. I was like, your neighbor's wrong, <laughs> you know? All right. And we sat down and we went through the Bible together and she's like, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. And now she's in this amazing phase where she believes in herself as a pastor. But I sat back and I thought to myself for a minute, I'm so thankful I got to talk to her about it because here's a seventh grader who may not know the difference and doesn't know yet whether what's right or what's wrong and could have walked away from that saying, you know what, I can't be a pastor because I'm a woman. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that often snuffs out the very dreams before we even know what our dreams are. 
I don't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for any of you ladies in this room. And so maybe you're in here and you're someone who thinks that the ceiling is here when really Jesus says there is no ceiling. Maybe you think what is valuable about you are certain things, whether it's your appearance or certain things that the world may value, but really it's not the things that Jesus values because he sees you as a woman of God and he doesn't see you as a second-class citizen to anyone. Can I get an amen? Jesus has the belief that you're a woman who's called to be empowered and live out the fullness of what Jesus is called to be and do. You're just as strong and capable as any man out there. Jesus sees that and we see that out there. Jesus has the final say over all of us as male and female. And we don't have to domineer over one another in order to affirm ourselves. But truly, we were meant to partner together. God made us to be suitable helpers. He made us to be strong defenders to one another. And to love this earth together as brothers and sisters. So if you're in here and maybe you're a woman and you've never considered that, or maybe you've never even considered how you've talked to another woman or valued another woman and said, this is what it means. Maybe that's something to consider and to look at the way that Jesus did. Maybe it's something to look at the way the kingdom does because it could be radically different from the way that you think. And now to the men in this room, I'm excited to talk to the men about this. But women, I want you to listen to this equally as well because this is important. First of all, I just want to say to you guys, I'm in no way trying to make you feel guilty for being a man. Amen? You don't have to apologize for being made a man. No one has to apologize for the gender that they were born with. So you don't have to sit in here and say, I'm sorry that I'm a man. But I also want to say this. If you're sitting here and you say, well, I've never talked badly to a woman, or I've never done anything grotesquely wrong to a woman or oppressed women, so this isn't my issue... You're also wrong. Because this is just as much a man's issue, not just individually, but corporately as men. The way that we treat women as Christians is one of the most important things you could do as a man. Both to your wife and to your sisters and the people around you. In fact, Paul in the scripture would tell Timothy, a younger leader, he's giving him instructions. And in chapter 5, 1 through 2, he's, he says, treat younger men as brothers. He says, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He's not saying like older than you and younger than you like we do in Western culture. He's just saying generally older and younger, which is like 40 and up and 40 and down. He's saying that you should be treating the older women as if they're your own mother. And the younger women you should treat with absolute. Everybody say absolute. Absolute purity. That this is something biblically that happened early on. Interestingly enough, I had a revelation about this in my own life a few years ago. I was listening to a pastor. She was a woman and she said, you know what? I really want to be a pastor to women, is what she said. And she goes, because I want women to be valued. I only, wanna, I only want to pastor women because I want them to be valued in society. And something, I totally understand what she meant by that. But there was something that didn't sit right with me as a man. I was like, why doesn't that make sense for some reason? And then it all of a sudden hit me out of nowhere. Because I realized the problem isn't necessarily women in the way that they treat women. It's in the way that men treat women. 
In fact, you can make the argument that the way women are treated and value in society is only a men's issue versus only being a women's issue. Because if men are the ones that we're treating women that way, isn't it on us collectively to be able to do that and to stand up and to look at each other as brothers and say, that's not right the way that you talk to her. That's not right the way that you treat her. And you need to stop that or you need to start doing this. It's on us as brothers to make a culture of men and to build up a culture of men in the Lord that pursues and loves the Lord and treats them that way. I remember a couple years ago, um, Natalie, can you put up that slide? I was a coach at Westside Christian. This is the team that I was a part of there. And it was interesting, um, first of all, when you're a 22-year-old guy out of college, and they hired me to be the high school girls coach. And so it was funny even talking to the athletic director. He's like, so, he's like, you're 22 years old, and you're coaching a bunch of high school girls. Do you see how this could be a problem? And I was like, yes, I do. And it was a, the first season was a lot of fun. But I remember I had an interesting talk. Many of you guys know Molly Rich, um, who serves on activities, who will also be at camp, another plug. Activities director, straight out of Idaho. It's like Compton, but not. And I, I was talking to her dad, who was the girls' soccer coach at the time. And I, I'll never forget the conversation I had. It was at one of the grad party of the players that she also played soccer. And he told me, he said, Jeff, you know what? You're in a really unique position as a young man over a girls' team. He says, you know, a lot of those girls... The people in their lives are men that treat them inappropriately or they're just old, all right, and that they can't relate to them at all. He says, but you have an opportunity as a man to show them and treat them with godly respect and purity in a way that could change their entire life. I took that to heart, and that began a journey with me and the assistant coach over on the right of creating a place where we loved our players, but we had healthy boundaries. We had purity. We were so careful about the way that we talked to them, but we lifted them up. We made sure that we did gatherings together so we could pour into them. And all I had to do was just be a healthy, godly brother to them. And it was life-changing to see the way that they came out of their shells as women of God because we created a safe place for them to be able to do. Men in the room, you are responsible for creating a safe place for women to be all that they are called to be. That is the most important thing. You are called to be a godly example to them by the way that you live your life and the humility that you show when you fail. In fact, I'll never forget one of the conversations. We did one of our big team dinners, and one of the girls who was on the team, she went to Wheaton in Illinois and came back two years later, and she, she actually personally thanked me for the role that I had in her life, and she said that, when I think about, this is what she told me, she said, when I think about my future husband, I ask myself, will he treat me the way that Jeff and the coaches treated me? Because you showed me what that was like. That's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten in my life. And that's not out of pride or anything, but it's, it's more revealing of what God can do through each and every one of you if you're willing to step into that. Men, this is just as much your fight as it is the woman that's sitting next to you. Amen? We're called and create, to create a safe place for women to be all that God has called them to be. 
that means really addressing the way that you talk to women. How do you treat them? Do you make fun of them? Do you break them down? You think it's funny as a man, but is it? Do they take something home with them that is hurtful and demeaning because of your position? Are you constantly looking to lift up women and give them opportunities? Maybe you don't have that yet, but you will in the future. I promise that as a man that those opportunities will come. How are you treating them? What do you value about them? Because if you're valuing them sexually or for their body first, that's not creating a safe place for them. Instead of valuing them the way that Jesus wants you to. In fact, Jesus would go very far in saying that if there are those, if there are Christians that are in here that are looking at women in unhealthy and sinful ways, that he would call them wolves among sheep. He says you're dangerous because you're not here to create a safe place for women to live in the fullness of who they've called, been called to be. And once again, just with this whole thing together, I understand that it equally goes back the other way in the way that women treat men. But it is really important, given our society and given our culture, that we're being countercultural, that we're different from the world around us, and that we're the ones giving every opportunity to lift up and create trusting, safe places for women to be who they're called to be. Ultimately, men do have an opportunity to right the wrong if they're in power. I would just say this, it's, it's almost a matter of privilege as well. I don't want to get too much into this because this could go on for days and miles. Because, for example, if in society more men are being hired to a position or being paid more than women or being treated better than women, you don't have to feel guilty for your privilege, but understand that your privilege could actually be something that you could use for good to turn the tables. Did you know in Revelation, it talks about Jesus giving elders crowns for their lives, and immediately when they got the crown, they just threw it at the feet of Jesus. God gave them blessing, but they gave it right back to God. Men, it's the same way in your own lives. Maybe you're given an opportunity by the world out there, but you can use that to build up other people. In fact, ladies, can I ask you something in this room? If someone who is in power... Maybe even our president, could I even go as far as to say? He stood up and said, the way I've been treating women is wrong, and we need to lift up women. We need to change how it's going around here. If people in power stood up and said, we need to value the women around us, that would be pretty good. Amen? Let me ask you something. Did you know that the most powerful person in the universe did just that? Jesus, who is the Son of God, didn't stand up and say, I'm the man, and I'm, I'm superior to everyone. He said, ladies, you guys are just as important to me, and I'm your servant. And so no matter what happens in the world around us, you always have the most important voice in your corner uplifting you and calling you exactly who you are as a woman of God. So I'm going to invite Debriana back up just to strum in the background while we pray together. I'm going to ask that you guys put away your Bibles Put away phones, and we're going to respond together. I want us to actually stand, and I want us to do something as a sign of union. I want you to put your arm around the person that's next to you. And as we... When Jesus says to love one another and by this the entire world will know who he is that includes the way that women and men treat each other because it's one thing to have 
sisters together and then separately brothers together, but it's also a huge revelation to the world by the way that men and women treat one another. And that's something that the Lord is calling us all to this morning. I want you to close your eyes where you're at. And there are so many different ways to respond this morning. Maybe you're in here and you're a woman and you don't feel very valued by the world around you. Or maybe you're living in a really tough situation where you've just grown accustomed to the culture that's around you. You say, yeah, I'm this. And this is, this is the most important thing about me. And that's kind of how the way it is. And Jesus says, not so. Actually, the most important thing is what I say about you as a woman of God. And that's something that you need to let the Lord wash over you this morning. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been abused. And because of that, and because seemingly nothing happened, or no one cared that you thought, well, maybe I'm not that valuable. But the word says that God cares so deeply about you, and that he's with you, and that he wants to be with you in your hurt and your brokenness, and lift you up, and call you who you really are. Maybe you're a man in the room, and you've been sitting in here. Maybe you're someone in this room that's like, you know, I've never hurt a woman. I've never you know, put down one, but it's not my problem. And now you got to own that today as a man. You got to say, you know what? It is. This is my battle to fight just as much as anyone else's. And you got to make that commitment, not only in your own life, but in this world as a Christian to say, I'm going to lift up women the way that Jesus did. I want to change the way I talk to women. I want to change the way that I relate to women, whether it's in person or over social media. I want to change the way I relate to my mom, to my sisters, to my sisters in here. And I want to treat them exactly the way that Jesus did. So Jesus, teach me. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. God, we thank you that you made us equal and unique. And God, that you called us to work and to live this life together and to serve you together. So God, we choose to be countercultural, God, because we want to live for truth. We don't want to just live like the majority of the world around us. God, we want to live for truth. If no one else outside of these walls stood for what you stand for, we will stand for you, Jesus. And we love you and we praise you and we thank you for every person that's in this room. God, we especially thank you for our sisters in this room. God, would you teach us how to lift them up more than we did yesterday and even more tomorrow. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your son's mighty name who healed and made the playing field equal once again the way it was supposed to be. Amen.